Kia ora. Welcome to Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. I'm Andrew Dixon. It's good to have you here. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations. It's great to be able to bring you another inspirational conversation today. Thanks for all the feedback on my recent blog post and on the last episode with Takarari Fitiao Scarborough. A thread that ran through both of those was the idea of being okay with awkward spaces. Being okay to hear someone else's perspective and stay in the conversation, even when it's challenging. If you haven't had a chance to listen or read, you can find both of those at downtoearthconversations.com. Today is another interview that tackles some deep issues in our society. Erin Hendry works in Tamaki Makoto, Auckland, providing support to young people who are homeless or at risk of being homeless, trying to find them emergency accommodation and supporting them to get back on their feet. Now, I was actually blown away by some of what Aaron shared in this conversation about some of the systems that he has to work within, and by the stories that he shares that challenge many widely held assumptions about homelessness. For those not used to te reo Māori, a couple of words frequently used in the episode are mahi, meaning work, and rangatahi, meaning youth or young people. When we recorded, we did have some issues with Aaron's mic up in Auckland, Uh, So the sound isn't as good as usual, but I didn't want to deprive you of this conversation for the sake of a few drop words and a few glitches, because this really is a rich conversation, and I'm sure you'll find it both inspiring and challenging. This is episode 11 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Aaron Hendry. We have all been dealing with this for generations, you know, but, you know, and we've just been saying, well, this is just the way it is, but now we're saying, no, it doesn't have to be. And so it's definitely something can be solved. It's something that we can fix. I heard someone say once that homelessness isn't an issue, it's a solution. It's a solution to communities which are not working, communities which are broken. So I'm here today with Aaron Hendry, uh, all the way from Tamaki Makoto. Kia ora, Aaron. Kia ora, bro. How you doing, man? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Great to be on the show. As we start, why don't you just give us a little bit about who you are, um, your background, where you're from, um, and we'll we'll kick into it from there. Cool, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like I said, my name's Aaron. Um, I live with my my wife, my little two year old boy, and um, also got a little little community here. So my friends Josh and Trinette as well. Um, yeah, so I am a youth development worker. Um, I work currently. I'm working for Lifewise, um, which is an organisation that has roots in the Methodist mission, um, and I lead a team that works in the youth homelessness space. So. We support young people who are homeless, or at risk of homelessness, and we're you know, trying to create some change in that space around um, yeah, providing care for our young people, Arangatahi, that are ending up out on the streets. Yeah. Cool. Was that something that you had anything to do with growing up, or like how did you get into that sort of work? Yeah, I mean, that's probably a bit of a, bit of a story. Uh, where should I start? 
Um, yeah, I mean, no, I didn't have any experiences around um, homelessness myself when I was a kid. I grew up in Alfano, that was, you know, a, quite a big family, you know, seven kids um, in Alfano. Um, and mum and dad out on a, like a little lifestyle block out in like Riverhead Cube area um, with, my, with my grandparents and uncles and aunties, so a little community out there, basically. Nice. Um, and I grew up in what was probably uh, more like a conservative sort of like Christian family. I guess one thing that is I get went through my my childhood that I really like stood out for me was that in terms of the, the framework that I grew up with, um, I really saw something different in my mum. You know, so mm-hmm. she had a real like strong love for people, and the way she practiced her faith was just really real. Like looking for the poor, the lost, the vulnerable. Yeah, cool. Those people that were in the margins, wherever there was someone, she was there loving them and caring for them. And it was really interesting because in some ways, um, the theology that that, um, we grew up with maybe didn't always lead to that praxis, Mm. but there was this experience of who God was, which was a God of love that that was there to serve and and not to rule or have power over others. And so that was, I guess, sort of my start and sort of formation of um, seeing who God was in that, and my mum, really, so a bit of a mama's boy in that. Um, but my journey into youth work, I guess it came through like meeting Jesus and having that love and passion, um, you know, through that. And I started at Law. I, yeah, I studied at Laidlaw around like 2010, 2011. And I remember we were, we attended like quite a big church in Tamaki at the time. I remember just sitting there and thinking like, there's got to be more than what this is, you know? Um, yeah. people were passionate, but there wasn't a lot of like change that was coming with the Mm-hmm. I guess the beliefs. So I remember sitting in church one day and thinking, God, I know is in the gutter. He's not like high up on the hilltop in the mountains. Yeah. It seemed like the community I was a part of was sort of worshipping. I remember going to Laidlaw with all those questions and starting to study theology. And I I did my study in, I guess, a bit of a different way than some of my, um, my mates where like I was also really involved in uh, a local church youth group. Um, and in that youth group, it was quite different from what a lot of youth groups um, maybe get involved in. You know, it wasn't sort of like the regular church kids that came down and we did Bible studies. It was a group of kids from our community who were going through some real hard stuff. And we'd get together, we'd have some kai, we'd have some fun. Um, but then we'd sit in circles and just talk about what they were going through and what they were yeah. experiencing and what was going on for them. And, um, and so I'm like, studying about God and all these big questions about who God is. Um, and I remember going through that first year and you're, you're doing this study around is God good or is God great and, and what does that mean? Mm. And um, and then going on a Tuesday night to sit with these kids who were you know, getting abused and um, you know, basically homeless, some of them living in overcrowded, damp houses. And, you know, kids had come up and share about, like, you know, suicide attempts and like real hard and difficult stuff and you're like well what does it what does it mean for god yeah. to be with them in this space what does it mean to ask all these intellectual questions about who god is um and then be be faced with this just raw and real suffering like if it doesn't mean anything for these guys here if it doesn't change something for them then what's the point of all this mm. so i think that was quite formational for me as i'm starting to ask these questions and really wrestle you know, I guess the theology behind it, I was really challenged to say, well, it's got to, it's got to be relevant here. You know, mm. if 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 this whole story about God coming to Earth and becoming human and 
becoming one of us and, and joining us here doesn't mean something for this young man who is getting beaten up at home, mm. has got no one, and yeah, he's here at church tonight, but he's going home to that environment. Like, yeah. like what does that mean? I guess out of that, I had a real passion for, I guess, doing more with our young people, and you yeah. know, I started there in, in that local church context, but you know, I eventually found my way into a bit of a career with that, and wherever I went, the biggest issue that we were facing with, with young people. And I worked in, in various spaces after that with Tawananga Aotearoa um, for a period um, where I was overseeing students, young people who sort of been failed from the schooling system and they ended up in sort of these PTEs, these courses, doing sort of sports programs. And I was, yeah. um, I guess, the, the one youth worker on campus at the time. And um, same situation, young people in really toxic and, and just harmful environments doing their best to, to survive and you know, and homelessness was a massive part of it. You know, a lot of our young people um, just didn't have safe or stable homes. Um, so, yeah, from there I went into Youth Line and did the same mahi there as well. And, and that, that theme of instability and homelessness has been like a massive one throughout my whole career. So I guess yeah. that was a short answer of how I got into yeah. it um, all along. I, I mean, hearing you talking about sitting in that circle with that youth group, it, it sounds so foreign from what a lot of church experiences are like. And yet it sounds so similar to what stories of Jesus are like. Yeah. Those were the sorts of people he was sitting with. Yeah, you know, I mean he was sitting with the the rich Pharisees and stuff as well, but um you know, he was sitting with all of those people and yet uh somehow we've managed to uh develop church cultures at times that don't represent that. So I mean great to hear that that your experience of that was in a church setting, um, was in that youth setting. Because it's not always the case. Yeah. Um, so now you're a LifeWise. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. You're the team leader um, and youth development worker there. Uh, so what does that work look like? What do you guys do? Yeah, um, yeah what's the heart behind it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so <laughs> what's it look like? So, yeah, I lead a team of, I think we've got about eight youth workers, seven, eight youth workers in our team at the moment. Um, and we support young people, 16 to 24, that have been homeless um, or at risk of homelessness. A lot of the, the young people that we serve, um, they have experienced, I guess, immense trauma, um, some really, really hard stuff in their lives. Yeah. And, and and unfortunately, we as a nation haven't really done a good job of even considering the needs of our rangatahi. Yeah. And especially like our 16, 17-year-olds, there's really no real provision for a young person if they become homeless at that age, mm. the result, you know, if that happens to say, you know, you think about kids that you know that are 16 or 17 that you love and care about, well, if something broke down in their families right now, they would have very few options. And if they didn't have a community around them, they'd end up in very dangerous situations where they were open to uh, being manipulated and, yeah. and, and used and abused or and or they'd end up on the street sort of living rough um, or in their car or on a bush and, yeah, so it's pretty pretty bleak in terms mm. of that. Um, and then you have young people that have, that have come through the care system. Um, and, and a real question that I ask our young people when they come into our services is often like, how long have you been homeless? And the most common answer I receive is always. Wow. And so there's a lot of our young people that, that – have never experienced that safety and stability that a lot of us just take for granted. Yeah. Um, 
when you look at statistics in 2013 uh, census, it was estimated that over half the pop- homeless population were young people, 16 to 25. Um, wow. And even knowing that, there's no real provision for their needs. And mm-hmm. so there's just this huge gap. And so our work is, is we try to do what we can to connect with these young people and, and house them and, and, and do that journey, be the, that community that's willing to walk alongside them, that space to heal and to, to recover. You talked about if this theology has to work in this kind of space. Um, mm. What's been some of the biggest uh, changes in your theology as you've worked in these kind of spaces? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, because of my experience growing up, there, there's been, um, I guess you hear some people talking about, hey, like, I used to believe all this stuff, and now I'm like, totally radically, it's yeah. like a different God that I know. But because of my experience of who God was, you know, like I, I said that I had this experience of this God who was love. Yeah. And a lot of the time when I was a kid, the theology that I had didn't, match up with the God that I was experiencing, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, and so I was always trying to figure out, you know, even when I was at college, I was like, how do I make the God that I experience, how do I make sense of the stuff I don't understand? There's got to be an answer because God mm. is God who God is, right? Um, but as I have, I guess, done the work that I've been doing and just followed God into that, some of that theology that I had held in the past has fallen away. And I've just seen, I feel like God's just become more who mm. she is, if, mm. if that makes sense. Um, and in terms of, yeah, those changes, I guess I did grow up with this real belief around, you know, the goal was to get people into heaven, you know, yeah. like we got to win the souls and evangelize and bring people you know, being people into this relationship with Jesus so that they can be saved. And that was really important. Um, and I guess what I have come to believe is that the kingdom of God is far more than uh, a reality that is for tomorrow. Mm. It is something that is to be experienced today. Um, and that when I see the gospel, when I look at the gospel, which in the gospel that Jesus preached is, it's the good news that he is Lord and that his kingdom has come to earth Mm. and that it's breaking through into our reality today. And so the question I have asked is, well, what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? What does it mean for the divine to be Lord of this world and for the divine's dream to become reality Mm. in our midst, in our communities, in our very lives? And that is the challenge that I think has led me on to say, well, if Jesus is my Lord, then how does that change the way I live and the way I interact with the world? Yeah. The way I care for the vulnerable and the weak, and, and order my life, even um, which pro, you know, how do I prioritize my life? Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to throw some uh, classic stereotypes at you now, and uh, <laughs> Go for it. Uh, things that I've heard, well, things that I've said myself, to be a hundred percent honest, things that I've heard mainly from middle and upper class white people, mm. and. Uh, you just respond to the statement, whatever your thoughts are around that. Mm. Uh, so the first one is just anything that's prefaced with if they just got off their bums and got a job. Yeah, I mean, that's a common a common thing. And that comes from misunderstanding, I think. So in my context, when I grew up, I used to think that. So I remember, I remember 
clearly remember listening to News Talk ZB and people talking about homeless people and beggars and thinking, man, there's no excuse. And I was sitting in Henderson. I don't know if anyone knows West Auckland, Henderson. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of our street whanau living down there. I remember sitting in there and thinking, there's no excuse for anyone to be homeless in this country. We've got an amazing social welfare system. If you're homeless, it's because you want to be. So just toughen up, you know? I believed that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to actually get to know the people that I had a lot of opinions about. And I started to hear their stories and learn about their experiences. And um, actually, the thing that really shifted this for me was <laughs> another example, actually, is I remember actually doing um, with our youth group, doing one of those like random church quizzes where you're like, what is your, uh, what's your spiritual gift? And one of the questions was, do you uh, have a passion for homeless people? And I was like, cross that out. I was like, nah, <laughs> not at all. Uh-huh. Um, and um, anyway, several years later, like I end up down on Queen Street without a job busking. Um, I, used to, I play piano accordion, yep. random instrument, I know. Um, and I had no other means to sort of eat. <laughs> so I did that. I was down there like five in the morning till five at night, just. Uh, playing to to earn what I needed, and anyway, down there I ended up getting to know a lot of the street community. Yeah. Um, and I remember like standing and listening to the story of this young man who just opened up and shared with me his experience. And his experience was nothing like what I'd been taught it was. Um, he told me about a story of being ostracized from his family, of a family that don't care about him, and have have kicked him out um, for things that have happened in his life um, of moving to Auckland to be with his girlfriend and that breaking down and her kicking him out and burning all of his, his papers that identify him um, of not being able to afford the documents to then be able to go to wins, to be able to get on a benefit um, of trying really hard to get a job and, you know, going into the library in Auckland and looking for jobs and begging until he could get enough to buy a phone to, you know, waking up with a piece of glass at his neck and getting robbed of that phone that he'd spent ages trying to yeah, trying right. to earn the money to so he could be contactable for employers, you know. This kid didn't want to be there. Um, he wasn't too old. He was maybe 19. Mm. And he was doing all he could to get off the street. But he didn't have any support. Mm. And I remember sitting there, and he told me about how, yeah, he'd started to use drugs, but he was really trying to get off it. But he said, you know, the nights are just really cold and I just need something to numb it. And I was like, man, I, I can't judge you anymore. Mm. You know, I've never been in that situation where actually drugs was the thing that could help me survive. Yeah. Where actually my life was in such a hard space that it was how I was getting through. And so sometimes we look at people and we judge them and we think, hey, like, you just need to try harder. Mm. You just need to do this, you do that. But, you know, we've never walked a mile or even a moment in their shoes. Um, there's a saying that sort of I've, I've come to live by, which is to listen is to love. Yeah. That as we listen to people, as we encounter one another through each other's stories, that we can, um, yeah, we truly um, – become connected with one another. We truly hear one another and, and experience who each other are. And I think that's something that's really important, that if that's your view, that you just think, hey, it's going to be solved by them just getting up and 
you know, getting a job. I mean, mm. I encourage you to go and listen to these stories, listen to the stories of the people that you're judging. And it's a lot, it's always a lot more complex mm. than what we expect. Mm. Um, I've also seen that a lot of our vulnerable that are on the street um, have disabilities, mentally unwell, um, have long and intensive histories of trauma where they've been abused and neglected for most of their lives. And, you know, the sort of um, harm that has happened to some of our people, it doesn't get healed overnight. It takes a, a, a lot of... <laughs> A lot of work, you know, people being willing to walk alongside you and love you and care for you and give you that safety until it can happen. So, mm. yeah, it's, it's not as easy as just getting up and getting on. Yeah. Yeah, and that feeds uh, quite well into the next one, which is that people who are homeless are homeless because they care more about drugs and alcohol than they care about finding a home. Yeah. What would you say to that? Yeah, I guess it's a common myth. Um and sometimes it's perpetuated by people when you just speak to them on the street because um, if you speak to some people on the street, they're like, yeah, I want to be here, that's awesome. But um, it's when you actually get to know people and sit with them and actually give them an option that's not the street, you know, mm. that's never the case. You know, when we talk about choice, some people's choices aren't the same as others. Mm. For some people, living on the street is a choice between living at home where you're getting abused and neglected Um you know, like an, another one of the young girls I met when I was first down there was a 16-year-old girl who had decided that uh, the streets were safer than getting sexually abused at home, which wow. is what was happening. And so she ran away, and she ends up living on the street. She ends up getting hooked in with meth because actually she needed protection, and the guy that was looking after her was also a meth head. So, you know, she mm. had, so, some, sometimes these things are more complex. Yeah. Um, and then when we look at addiction, like it's really important to look at what the drivers of addiction are. There's there's a real, and it's unfortunate that in the church often we, we don't have the understanding of this, and it's not everyone obviously, but just sort of the dominant Christian culture seems to quite support um, viewing addiction as a moral issue. You know, we've got the legalization um, debate happening at the moment, and a lot of the conversation is, well, it's wrong, so it shouldn't be legalized. Now it's complex, and we won't get into that, but... Yeah. Um, addiction, the way um, I understand it and the way a lot of health professionals understand it is that it is a health issue, um, that there are always factors that lead to addiction mm. and that if you can treat the issues that are underneath, there's opportunity to heal and to recover. And I have known numerous young people with the, who have been hooked on meth and synthetics who once we've been able to provide them with safe and stable housing and we've been willing to work through with them and walk alongside them, that as they've healed, they have gotten off that stuff. Yeah, cool. So it happens, but it doesn't happen when you're just sitting on the, you know, when you're not, when you don't have safety, when mm -hmm. you're still being traumatized, when you haven't been able to heal and recover. Like addiction is always something that people use to cope with something else. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the same with all of us, you know, like I, I manage my stress and the stuff that I go through through eating way too much chocolate and yeah. drinking way too much coffee, you yeah. know. Um, I've had a different life experience and that's the stuff that, use you know we all have something yeah. in our lives unfortunately for some people the thing that they have found that has helped them survive and get through some really hard stuff can be really harmful and damaging to them so it's not i mean you, you can't just say actually they need to get cleaned up so that they can then move on with life find a home find a job because actually life has led them to a point where that seems like their best option yeah and sometimes it's the way people 
are surviving. Yeah. That's, what, that's what's getting them through. And, yeah. and I think it's really harsh to judge that when you're sitting in your nice, warm, comfy house and they're sitting on cold, hard concrete. Mm. And, and, you know, like um, even that, that phrase there, like their life has led them here. Um, I think in a way, I think we as a society and as a community have have dropped them there. You know, yeah. Yeah, There are right. huge gaps in our society and in our community. And if people had access, I mean, there's so many channels into homelessness. One of them is obviously um, the care system. So we have young people that get uplifted um, due to a whole bunch of reasons um, and end up a, a life of transience mm-hmm. and impermanence where they're moving around for, for most of their lives. I, I just, you know, I know of young people that have been moved like hundreds of times in their lives. Yeah. I spoke to a young girl the other day who said she's never unpacked her bag ever. Wow. And so, um, when we just don't provide for the needs of our people and they, um, we allow them to be in such um, toxic and, and harmful environments and then we judge them for the ways they're coping and surviving with that, I mean, that's mm. pretty hypocritical. Yeah, and, and I guess the other thing with that is like in terms of mental health, like mental health services, we don't have a really great mental health system in New Zealand. And so um, a lot of you know that addiction could be dealt with if we had this, the right and appropriate care for people yeah. when they need it. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of work to do, but just um, criminalizing people who use drugs doesn't, doesn't solve anything, doesn't change anything for people. Yeah. With, with your work, I guess you're looking at this and going, there's a broken system, but mm. while that system exists, we need to get in and do something. Uh, on the other side of things, uh, your uh, LifeWise is part of a, a group of of um, like-minded organisations, um, the Youth Homelessness Collective, and yeah. and that seems correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems to be people who are looking at both how can we support these rangatahi, but also what can we do to change the system. Yeah, is that something that is possible? Yeah, I mean. So the so the Youth Homeless Collective, which is uh, Manaki Rangatahi, um, is a group of NGOs that have come together and community members have come together and say, actually, enough's enough. Like, this is something we can solve. Like, um, we have all been dealing with this for generations, you mm. know, but, you know, and we've just been saying, well, this is just the way it is. But now we're saying, no, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And so it's definitely something can be solved. It's something that we can fix. Um, and there's so many layers to this. Um, in terms of what Manaki Rangatahi is doing at the moment, we um, have launched a campaign to petition the government to take direct action on this issue because there's some key things that they can do right now that will change things. One is that they need to provide support for young people that are 16, 17 yeah. um, plus um, for emergency accommodation so that when you become homeless today, you actually have support. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, with this brilliant COVID nineteen response that happened, young people were left out in the dark again, and there was this huge gap where actually, if you were sixteen and seventeen, you couldn't access a lot of the support that was on offer. So is that because they were supposed to be getting um, support from their whānau? Like, is, is that how the law is at the moment? This is one of the great oversights. So um, the issue that that young people's voices are just not in these spaces. So the government's created a benefit. It happened years ago under the national government called the Youth Services. Um, and basically, it's designed for young people who are, have become homeless. So it's a specific benefit for 16 to 17-year-olds who can't access support throughout Rangatamaruki because they're too old. 
Yeah. Um, but they can still get a benefit and get some support. It's basically a benefit for homeless young people. However, when that benefit was created, there was no thought around where these kids were going to live. Right. And so there's been no um, accommodation, um, no sort of planning or strategic planning for young people that become homeless at 16 to 17. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's just an, it's a huge, massive oversight. It's, mm. it's a massive gap. Um, and you know, why has it happened? Um, who knows? Is it because young people don't vote, so their voice can't be heard? Maybe. Um, I tend to think that there's a huge amount of stigma um, that's associated with our young people. That often we look at young people and we think they're just spoiled or they're brats, and they just need to, you know, get some discipline and go home. Um, and I've heard that from people a lot when they've come in contact with our work. And it just misunderstands what's happening for our young people. It misunderstands that actually you're telling them to go home to homes where people never don't want them, they're unsafe, or their families are homeless. You know, I've no, I know, I know some kids whose families have been homeless for generations. You know, wow. And so they've grown up in that. And so the issues facing our community are so much more complex than mm. people want to take note of. And so, mm. yeah. I mean, it's, it's something we can solve, but we have to have, one, the creative imagination to do it and yeah. the commitment and the courage to make the change and the reforms that's necessary. And so that's what Manaki Orangatahi is trying to do. We're trying to bring mm-hmm. this attention, this issue to the top and say this can be solved. And so, yep, the immediate access to emergency accommodation and, and transitional accommodation is one. Um, but we're also asking that a strategic plan is created, um, which we're you know willing to work on and be a part of. And we already started some of that work to actually make sure that all the pipelines that lead into homelessness are closed and that there's legislation that basically says that government agencies and those who are funded by them cannot exit young people into homelessness because that's that happens today, um, that we actually have to make sure that there is a provision for young people so that they're looked after and cared for. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of like guess the policy and the, the government side that we're pushing for. But in terms of a community side, um, there's so much that all of us can do to start thinking about um, how we address this issue in our own communities. And, you know, I think, I guess where this journey really started for me was that time on the street, mm-hmm. and which I've mentioned, where I was down there busking. And, and I remember walking down those streets. Often you'd have the evangelists that come out and preaching and handing out tracts. And I just remember thinking, hey, like, in a world where the church exists, homelessness shouldn't. Mm. And I think about how we have organized ourselves as communities, both within the church and outside. Um, and I think that actually the way we have organized ourselves as human beings is just not working. Mm. And I heard someone say once that homelessness isn't an issue, it's a solution. It's a solution to communities which are not working, right. communities which are broken. And so the real problem that we need to solve is our communities. We need to look at how we organize ourselves and how we take care of one another. Um, And that actually that kid on the street isn't just someone's kid or a nuisance or an annoyance. Actually, he's our kid. You know, she's our kid. You know, we belong to one another. We have a commitment to one another. And and this is something that I think the church has the, the narrative to be a part of shifting. Um, if we choose to really accept the radical call of the gospel is that the good news is that God's kingdom has come and that we don't have to live under 
the reign of Caesar and empire, yeah. that we can truly um, embrace this divine dream of what our world could look like. Mm. Um, and I often ask the question, what would it look like if we committed ourselves to this dream? How would we organize our communities if we were really committed to seeing each other as as family, as brothers and sisters, regardless of whether we share the same faith, but as, you know, human beings that are on this planet mm-hmm. um, and we're called to serve one another. Um, I often think of a great example for our our time is, is to look back at that gospel story and, and see how our own communities really reflect um, the communities that existed um, back when Jesus was walking the earth. And if we look at that story, Jesus comes in to a world where Caesar is Lord and he, he, he an empire is the dominant narrative. Um, Jesus was more than just some preacher going around telling people to follow God. He was a radical and a revolutionary. Um, he was a brown Jewish man in a world where Jews were completely pushed under, oppressed, beaten down by the power and the might of Rome. And the Jewish people were crying out for revolution. Right? They're crying out for freedom. They're crying out to um, to be free from this, 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 this oppression that they were experiencing. And Jesus starts to come in and say, actually, the way that you are living, is this isn't right. He critiques that system. He critiques the way people are treating each other. He calls people to love one another. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the heart of his message. Love love God and love others. And how do we love God? We do that by loving others. And and he shows a different way. And where the empire uses coercive force and power and brutality, Jesus uses love and they kill him for it. And, and yet the, the community that grows up um, as a result of Jesus' movement is a community that is known for their love for one another and for their love for others. I remember this this interesting story where um, a priest of a different um, religion writes to his his peer and says, "Hey, like um, we need to start looking after the sick and the elderly because those Christians are taking all our people because they're looking after them better than we are." Um, and so the church had this this I guess um, radical belief that the core of their community was love for neighbor. Mm. Um, and that is how they love God. And so they reorganized their community. And so even though Caesar was all about division and about power and about might, they created a radical inclusivity yeah. where everyone could be a part of that. And everyone was looked after and fed and housed and, and cared for in a way that just wasn't happening. Yeah. So if we took that vision and we imagined that today, what would that look like? Um, we live in a culture where we have our own gods. Um, instead of Caesar, we have radical individualism and consumerism. We're taught that to be human is to be an individual consumer. Yeah. Um, and so we live in our isolated individual houses and in our individual communities and in our individual churches and hear individual messages on Sunday and then go away and try to apply it to our individual lives. Um, in a way, sometimes I think the way we've organized ourselves is not too dissimilar to the gods of our age. Yet, if our Lord really is Jesus, then what does that mean for how we should organize our communities? And what should that mean for how we prioritize the way that we live and what we care about? Um, and I think that we find Jesus calling us always to the margins. He calls us to the least and to the lost. 
And he says, that's where I am and that's where we're called to be. And Mm -hmm. so to follow Jesus is to lay down our own privilege. It is to lay down our own comfort and security and to follow him um, into the gutter where people are hurting and where people uh, are suffering and to join God there in service and sacrifice. Mm. Basically just summed up the heart of this whole podcast. Um, yeah, totally, totally loving what you're saying there and, and um, totally talk with that. And I, I think that's, that is the heart of this podcast, that it's about going, what would it look like if faith was actually an active everyday thing, um, dealing with the ordinary and not just waiting for this magic supernatural thing to happen and suddenly we're all different. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, just, yeah, so stoked with, with the heart that you bring to all of this. Tell us a bit about when lambs are silent. What is it and, and where did that come mm. from? Yeah, when lambs are silent, that, um, that came from listening to way too much talkback radio. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I remember listening to these um, talkback hosts who, once again, were making commentary on people that I knew, if, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you know, talking about people on the benefit, talking about homeless people, talking about teenagers and 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 shift and speaking about them in a way that just was not true to yeah. the to the people that I know and love and, and who are my friends and that I walk alongside in my every day. Um, and... I wanted to create a space where their voices could be on it, where I guess we could share stories that were, um, I guess, from people that were walking on the front lines who could offer a different perspective and also from from people experiencing stuff themselves and they could share their own thoughts and, and feelings and, and heart. And so I wanted to create a space where, you know, like we said, our tag is to listen is to love, where, where we could encourage um, a space where we listen to one another rather than just judging or attacking one another. And we're hopefully through encountering one another, we could love each other. And so it's not necessarily um, designed to be a space where you're going to agree with everything. And, yeah. You know, or the, each perspective, you know, I don't always agree with everyone's conclusions and perspectives on the space, but it's about saying, actually, when I listen to you, I learn to love you a lot better than when I stand away from you and I throw stones at you. So yeah, it started off as a blog, um, and so I did a bit of writing there and try to get as many people engaged on it as possible, sharing their own stories. We just recently over lockdown started a podcast as well, where we're starting to have some of those conversations mm. as you know, coming from that. And um, yeah, if you're listening to this, I would totally recommend going and, and finding that and listening to it. Um, the bro, the, the what if series that you've been doing, mm. uh, I think is so powerful. The, the what could, like coming out of the lockdown, what could things look like if we actually made change? Um, yeah. And, I mean, it just flows on from the heart of everything you've said today. But, um, yeah, just I'll totally go and listen to that, people. Um, uh, a lot of uh, thoughts and ideas from that that you won't hear in a lot of uh, typical Christian settings. And that's a good thing. Um, because it challenges us, it stretches us, it grows us. And uh, and like Aaron's saying, you don't have to agree with everything, but at least enter the conversation. Because if we're not in the conversation, we can't really do anything. Uh, but if we're in the conversation, then we can figure out, okay, what what is it that God wants me to do in this space? So um, yeah. yeah, go check it out. We'll put some, um, some links in the uh, show notes of the episode. But uh, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit of where we can find that, Aaron? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have a Facebook page, When Lambs Are Silent, um, so you can go there and we just share everything up on there. But otherwise, um, if you if you go to When I guess if you just Google When Lambs Are Silent, uh, the podcast, you also find that in sort of Google. Cool. Um, but probably the Facebook page, give that a like. That's probably the best way to. Yeah, awesome. And and also, how can people support what you guys are doing with um, LifeWise and with Youth Homelessness Collective? Yeah, so if you um, if you want to support our petition and help us end youth homelessness, then um, you can, once again, like us on Facebook. It's the Youth Homelessness Collective, Manaki Rangatahi on Facebook. Um, we have a petition going, which you can find at End Youth Homelessness um, on Action Station. So just type that into Google and you'll find that. Um, and yeah, if you can sign that petition, if you can share it, um, if you've got spaces, you can share it with your church community or uh, you've got spaces where you can share it around and, and get people talking about it, that'd be really helpful. Mm. I think we need to get a significant amount of people um, signing that so we yeah. can get a bit of attention from the government and actually push some change through. Basically, I guess like, you know, like you're saying with that, what if like we believe that these changes are possible, that actually we don't have to accept um, so much needless suffering of our people. Mm. You know, we have a lot more power and autonomy in our communities than we realize, and sometimes we let that go too easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and if you've been listening to this today going, man, I never knew all of this stuff. Uh, I never knew how hard it was for those 16, 17-year-olds or, or um, all of that kind of stuff. Well, now you know. Go and sign the, the petition. Uh, I I totally encourage that, and we'll um, I'll make sure that's in the show notes and and post that on Facebook yeah. and stuff as well. I think it's already on on my Facebook page, but um, awesome. save save your scrolling back. I'll I'll do it again. So, yeah, oh, bro, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, thank you for the the heart that you bring to your mahi, um, that just really demonstrates this God who is love that you talk about. Um, and in doing that, thanks for helping bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Thanks, brother. Man, so I don't know about you, but I learned a whole lot in that conversation. I had no idea of the gaps there were for young people who didn't have a home. And the stories that Aaron told challenging many of those assumptions that we hear, or even things we might say, things that I have said about homelessness. It's another case of getting to know people and finding out things aren't as black and white as we've been led to believe. I love the way Aaron didn't debate concepts. He just told stories. Stories that quickly dismantled the questions without a whole lot of facts and figures to argue about. It's pretty hard to argue with somebody's story. Yet it seems he does know the facts and figures too. Uh, ultimately, I absolutely love how what drives him to this work is his understanding of the gospel story. The good news that God's kingdom, otherwise known as heaven, is breaking into our spaces. If only we would notice and partner with God to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. I'd really encourage you to head to the show notes for the link to the petition to end youth homelessness and go and sign it. It only takes a moment, but if we get enough momentum, then we can actually change systems that keep people down. Now, Aaron totally believed that, and his belief has rubbed off on me a bit. Uh, so if this episode has spoken to you in any way, don't just think about stuff. Respond in some sort of action and help Aaron and his team to bring a bit of heaven down to earth for those rangatahi who currently find themselves in the system's deep cracks. So thank you, Aaron, for taking the time to chat and for all you do in your work, your blog, 
your podcast, and just your life in general to help to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Thanks to Ignition Systems for their support. Thanks to those of you who have given to help me do this thing. Um, And thanks to you for listening. Make sure you connect on Facebook or Instagram um, at downtoearth.conversations on both of those. And I'd love to hear from you about what has impacted you from any of the episodes that you've listened to. Next time we're going to do something just a little bit different. Uh, Spanky Moore is a university chaplain, an ordained Anglican minister, a co-host of the podcast 21 Elephants, alongside his good friend Scotty Reeve, as well as being a former radio host and punk muso. Uh, So I went to hang out with Spanky for an evening and let him take over the podcast for the night, digging into my life, what drives me and how that's outplayed and um, how I see spaces in my own life where I'm bringing a bit of heaven down to earth. It was a whole lot of fun, so join us next time for the Down to Earth Conversations Spanky More Takeover Edition. Until then, me'inoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi, kia tapu tō ingoa, kia tau mai tō rangatiratanga, kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua, kia rite anō ki tō te rangi. Humai kia mātou ai nei, he taroma mātou mō tēnei rā, mūroa o hara, me mātou hoki e muru nei i o te hunga, e hara ana kia mātou. Aua hoki mātou e kawia, kia whakawaia, e ngari whakorangia mātou i te kino. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.